0: get ready get ready strap yourself in keep your hands arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a
1: monster education roller coaster with your brain now here's your host chris voss uh, i'm Oaks, chris voss here from the chris voss show.com the chris voss welcome to the big show 14 years 1400 episodes Actually, going on 1,500 episodes. I can't keep track. There's two to three new shows a day, just like a radio station, or on weekdays. Uh... Please make sure you're further show to your family, your friends, and relatives. As always, go to goodreads.com, for Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, for Chris Voss, YouTube.com, for Chris Foss, LinkedIn, all those places. I can't even keep track of them. I'm just repeating them now at this point, but you all know where they're at. Uh, give us five star review on, uh, on, uh, the iTunes there. We certainly appreciate that you guys do. We have an amazing gentleman on the show, uh, in a storied family, American history. Uh, this is kind of, uh, Americana really i'm so is americana the right word we'll find out uh anyway we have an amazing author on the show his newest book just uh, comes out august 1st 2023 it's called family reigns uh the extraordinary rise and epic fall of an american dynasty billy bush joins us on the show and you may recognize that name the bush uh family and bush beer as it were anheuser Bush. And uh, I should probably mention when it says family rains, that's family rains, as in like horse reins, as opposed to family rains. But I believe really there's some rain that goes on with the family. And Billy's here to share with us, talk to us about us, so and give us a lowdown on his latest book and this amazing story of Americana. Uh, he is a heir to the Anheuser-Busch Company and Fortune. He was raised on the stories of how his family built one of America's most iconic brands. Growing up on the family's ancestral estate as a prince to the king of beers, Billy lived a life other kids can only dream of. Welcome to the show, Billy. How are you? Great. Great to be here
0: with you, Chris. Thank you for having me on.
1: There you go. And thanks for coming on as well. Uh, do you have a .com or any place you want people to find you on the interwebs? Uh, not right now, actually. <laughs> okay. You have an Instagram, I think, don't you? I do have an else's? Instagram, BillyBush7. <laughs> There you go. Well, we'll just plug the book. Go buy the damn book already. Where there you five go. books are sold. That's a uh, that's always awesome. So uh, let me ask you this. What motivated you want to write this book?
0: Well, Chris, um, of course I grew up in the family. Um, I watched my father as he grew the business. Uh, I think um during his tenure as head of the brewery, that was August Bush Jr., better known as Gussie. I think it was probably the time of the greatest growth for Anhe- Anheuser-Busch. And so I was, I've been very, very close to the business um, and to the company uh, all my life growing up, um, especially in the family. And, you know, there's never been a book written by a family member that's been published um, about the family and about the company. So mm-hmm. I really am very proud of the fact of what my my family has accomplished. What my ancestors did, how hard they worked, their determination, their belief in themselves and in the country um, mm-hmm. to live the American dream, I think uh, is just amazing. I think the history the the history to how they accomplished and got what they got done um, is just something that needs to be told and never forgotten um, i I, re- I I'm very proud of it, and um you know I think people are gonna really enjoy how all that happened, how it all came about. And I think they're going to get an up close and personal look um, at how, what it was like growing up as a Bush family member. And they'll, again, there's been a lot written about the family, never by a Bush family member. And so they're going to get the truth here. And I think um, I hope people enjoy it. I know I have seven kids. I've told them stories about um, about the past. Now I've put it down in black and white so that they will have it and they know where they come from and know what runs in their blood. And um, it was important for me to, to to leave that to them also. So um, you know, it was a it was a work of, of passion, and um, uh, I hope uh, I hope my ancestors are going to be proud of what I wrote because uh, they they were amazing people. Um, I didn't know my grandfather or my great grandfather. I knew my father, of course, but um, you know, the hard work that they did, they, they, to keep, during prohibition, Chris, um, Mm -hmm. to keep 2000 employees employed during that time um, and have to come up with other products to sell when you couldn't sell alcohol and not knowing when prohibition was gonna end or if it was gonna end um, Mm -hmm. and to keep that going what it took for my grandfather to do that—it basically killed him in the end—but he did it, and um, wow. you know, I'm very proud of that.
1: There you go. And and like you mentioned, this is an insider story. So you know, a, a lot of people write from the outside, and 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 people do their uh, what do they like to call it uh, quarterback uh, armchair quarterback stuff, where They're like, oh, look over there, that's what they're doing. And 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 I think uh, you know, some people don't see what the inside is like, and so I think that's what's great about your book is you you talk to that. Um, and, and I guess it's kind of a memoir. It's billed as telling the story of a legendary American family, their rise to power, their fall from grace through poisonous infighting, succession struggles, and seemingly endless string of tragedies, scandals, and loss. It almost uh, kind of sounded to me like a Camelot, almost, a Kennedy Camelot, maybe a little bit.
0: Well, I'll tell you, um, it was interesting writing the book and and, uh, and what it did, it taught me uh, a lot about the family. Um, my father kept uh, lots of notes. He kept uh, lots of letters that he, that he had. And it really gave me insight to who my family was, where my father came from. Um, when I was growing up, we really never talked about it. My dad was, he was born in 1899. So when I was born, he was 60 years old. He was still mm-hmm. running the brewery. He didn't really have time to go back into the history with me and really explain to me what his father was like or what his grandfather was like. And, uh, to be able to read those notes, to be able to read some of the books that he kept, um, and those letters and really get an inside look at, at, um, what, where he came from, what his grandfather was like. And his father really helped me understand a pattern. And that pattern was that, um, when, you know, you talk about succession, the, the, um, the leadership of the company was never guaranteed to the oldest son oh. it was guaranteed to the most competent son and um, really what it what it taught me was one of the reasons that the company is no longer part of the family was because that pattern that pattern shifted um, in the fourth generation and um <clears throat> You know, it did not necessarily, well, it didn't go to the most competent son in the end. And that's one of the reasons Anheuser-Busch was taken over by InBev. Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a, we'll get into that whole story of, of uh, kind of, I think it was kind of a hostile or somewhat hostile takeover. Um, but let's, uh, for those people who just think beer is something you buy on a shelf at 7-Eleven, it's just always been there. Let's talk about the storied history. Where did Anheuser-Busch begin? Who started it? And, and you know, what what gives it this long uh, distance prominence in Americana and in American history, making it a dynasty?
0: Well, my great grandfather, Adolphus Bush, uh, moved from Germany over to St. Louis, Missouri, here in the United States um, back in eighteen fifty seven, and he came here because Germany um, was going through a revolution of sorts. Uh, the economy wasn't good, but he saw that there was um, there 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 opportunities in the United States. And he could come here basically to live the american dream Mm -hmm. um he worked on the river and on the mississippi river which was very familiar to him because he grew up along the rhine river in uh, in germany uh doing business um along the rhine river so it made sense for him he worked on a riverboat um then uh other sorts of jobs he met um the love of his life lily Anheuser. Uh, Lily's father, Everhart, had a failing brewery down on the riverfront in St. Louis. It wasn't doing well. Um, he was a great entrepreneur, and his his uh, focus was on the other businesses, not so much on the on the brewing business. So he was going to either shut the brewing business down or he was going to sell it. But he first asked his his son-in-law, um, Adolphus, if he would like a go of running the brewery. And basically, Chris, the rest is history, because, of course, it always said, yes, let me give it a try. Um, He discovered that the beer uh, that E. Eberhardt Anheuser um, E. Eberhardt Anheuser and Company Brewery was making was lousy. Mm. And he, you know, he knew he needed to upgrade the beer. He came up with a great recipe, him and his brewmaster, of course, that's called Budweiser. And uh, he realized that, uh, you know, in the heat of the summer, um, that a good lager beer was, was more refreshing than an ale. And, uh, you know, and, and Budweiser became, uh, you know, a staple household name as it is uh, today, basically. But uh, that's, that's pretty much how it started out.
1: There you go. And you guys it made a lot of firsts. I mean, you guys, I mean, this is part of building of America. Uh, you guys were the first uh, companies to transport beer nationwide using railroad refrigerator cars, uh, pasteurization it, to keep beer fresh and all sorts of different things um, that really served that. And then you, you mentioned before that they, you know, I imagine it was a big trouble going through the uh, prohibition years because uh, Jesus, everyone was sober.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Must have been miserable. <laughs>
0: It, it must have been tough. I mean, um, yeah,
1: you're right. Uh- Hi, folks. Here's Voss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff, uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as CEO. And be sure to check out Chris Voss Leadership institute.com now back to the show
0: uh, before the refrigerated railroad car which um, which Adolphus invented he was a very innovative guy were the ice houses that he um, actually also invented. And instead of taking the beer across the Mississippi, where there was a tax on the beer, he mm-hmm. decided to go toward down toward Texas. And if, um, I don't know if you know, but there's a hotel down there that he built because he spent so much time in Texas, called the Adolphus Hotel, which stands today. Oh, wow. But he built um, ice houses along the railway lines so that the railroad could stop um, and refresh the ice to keep the beer cold as they went as they as they um, shipped the beer down towards Texas and and mm-hmm. in Texas. So he did that. He also discovered pasteurization. He worked with Louis Pasteur to pasteurize beer. So he was the first one to do that. That of course allowed the beer to stay fresher for a longer period of time, which allowed them to also transport the beer further than, than, than their competition. So he was ahead of his time. He was also a very gregarious guy, great marketing guy, knew how to work with people um, just like my dad did. My dad was very, very similar to him. And, um, you know you put all those things together and it just made for a uh, huge success
1: there you go what are some of the stories in your book that uh, people are going to stand out or what can we tease out to people you know to get them to go pick up the book
0: well i think one of the interesting things at the beginning of the book is how they um how they discovered budweiser the recipe for budweiser oh. And that that's always a fun part, you know. That's a little bit of a myth. There's maybe it's not completely true, but uh, it's a myth that came, you know, that's been going on for generations now. Um, that's one of the things I I think. Another fun thing at the beginning of the book is um, how my great grandfather got my grandfather to take over the brewery. Um, he uh, he wasn't interested in doing that at all. He was a cowboy outdoorsman. He didn't want to be. Um, he didn't want to run the brewery. He wanted to a farmer or a rancher, um, and how, how his father handled that situation mm-hmm. and made him change his mind. I think, uh, you know, the interesting stories are um, how they got through Prohibition, mm-hmm. which uh, was a difficult 13 years, but they made it through. Um, after Prohibition, well, the interesting thing is how they marketed their beer, how they got up and running again which was um, an incredible time. And, of course, that's the beginning of the Clydesdale Eight Horse Hitch, which uh, my father and his brother presented to my dad or to my grandfather to celebrate the end of Prohibition Um, is another interesting thing. And then, um, you know, uh, how my dad took it over, how he uh, started uh, with 3 million barrels of beer I think they were selling, and he took it all the way up to almost 40 million barrels of beer sold in the 70s. Um, and how we celebrated, cause I was born then I was living then and how we celebrated those milestones was, mm. was a lot of fun. And then, um, you know, it's not all built around fun though. Unfortunately, uh, there's a, there's a lot of tragedy. It wasn't all fun and games. It wasn't all fun and games.
1: Were people involved um, or something?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a real life situation, uh, a real life story. And I think people will relate that, uh, and understand that, you know, there's a lot of hardships that went along with it and. We tell. I tell about that too. I talk about mm. that because I again I wanted to tell the truth in this book. I wanted it to be truthful, because it's not only for the public out there to read, and I want to be truthful to them. But I want my kids, all seven of them, to really know where they came from and um, understand, you know, the shortcomings of of what I went through. Also, because there were some shortcomings, and I think um, you got to learn from those. To build a stronger and better family.
1: There you go. Uh, and so, what is it like for you? Give us a little tease out from the book because I'm sure you cover it. What is it like for you to grow up? You're in an epic dynasty. There's lots of family members. Probably at this point in play, and probably people maybe uh, jockeying to try and run the company or you know get get whatever they can. I mean, there's you know it ends up being kind of like The Godfather, where there's you know it, it becomes a dynasty of princes and kings, and everyone's trying to get their I don't know. Whatever they want to do, tell tell us about what what it's like to grow up in that environment.
0: You know, it's amazing because um, <laughs> you get the front row seats to the Cardinal baseball games. You get to sit in the dugout. You get to go as a kid, grab handfuls of bubble gum out of the big jar in in the uh, in the locker room of the Cardinals. Um, you get to shake hands with Lou Brock and and Stan Musial and Red Shandies and. Uh, White, Whitey Herzog and Ozzie Smith, and I could go on and on and on, Chris. <laughs> um, you get to go behind the scenes at all the theme parks, the bush gardens and see the elephants oh, right. and the yeah. uh, and the cheetahs and um, all the different animals that there are to see. You can get on front of the line and ride on the um, uh, all the different rides that they had, the roller coasters and what have you. But not only that, I got to grow up on a farm um, which was open to the public. My dad opened it to the public. And really, that's what spurred him to build the theme parks around the breweries, realizing uh, the brand loyalty that 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 the Grants Farm where I grew up built. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had my I had a pet elephant growing up, which I talk about in the book <laughs> um,
1: so it was amazing. Who I will, had to clean up the poop? Sorry to interrupt you, but I just <laughs> have to know that.
0: You know what? You need a big shovel and a strong arm. <laughs> I have two
1: huskies, and it's bad enough. I can't imagine an <laughs> elephant.
0: That's right. But but it was it was it was amazing when it comes to that. But I will say, I think there were some things missing. I think mm-hmm. um, it was always we had to live up to this legacy. We had mm-hmm. to live up to this image of where we came from, of what we were promoting, which of course we were always promoting the company and its brands. And I think um, when you're doing that all the time, it becomes your communication, you lack communication with your siblings, you lack communication with your parents. I mean, real communication. Uh Um, And I never really had that. Uh Um, I had better communication with the people that work for us. And I talk about a chauffeur, who worked for us. His name was Nathan in the book, who yeah. actually became a mentor of mine and one of my best friends. Um, and he helped me through some really tough times when I was being bullied because of my name. There you and, go. Um, you know, again, I talk about that in the book. Um, we were more like little soldiers and we had to be soldiers. We couldn't show emotion. Uh, we had to. Uh, and And dad, our father was like our boss. And I think my mom felt the pressure of it, too. And, you know, you'll be able to read about You know, those kinds of things and how that affected us.
1: Yeah, everybody thinks that sometimes if you're involved in, you know, a dynasty of this nature or wealth and privilege, that it's all just roses and whatever. And sometimes it's just more wars and, more people you know negotiating and fighting over stuff and you know there's more to fight over i suppose and uh, different things and i think some of you know you mentioned earlier the 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 inheritance and the progression of the company and the leadership that was done down through the family and then ended up with this uh, sort of hostage uh, i think well you tell me what it was was it you know it was, it was a hostage take over i think it was a swedish company wasn't it the- it was a
0: Belgian company um, yeah. Belgian and Brazilian company um, It was a hostile takeover. I mean they saw a good uh, uh, a good opportunity the The company um, wasn 't being run well mm-hmm. um, they uh, they knew it they mm-hmm. They had gotten into our distribution system um, because the leader of the company allowed allowed that to happen. They were able mm-hmm. to see the books they were able to know exactly what it would take to buy the company and um and they went for it and wow. there was really nothing it was actually august the 4th my nephew who was running the brewery at the time uh there was nothing he could do to stop it i know that he tried to stop uh the takeover um and he could have done that had the board gone along with them on buying the rest of modello mm-hmm. uh, because it would have made the company too expensive to buy for even Inbev. um but the uh the board turned it down and so um so it was taken over but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of competitiveness um, in the family, you know, over things like that. It was it was mm-hmm. always very competitive. That's the other thing that was not not necessarily the most healthy thing in the world. The competition that we all felt to a degree, some more than others. Um, so yeah, that was that was a difficult thing, and I think that helped divide the the, the uh, family to a certain degree also.
1: There you go. Uh, you know, it's it's really interesting uh, how all this has played out. In fact, you mentioned Medello, which I think is the number one selling beer right now after the Bud Light kerfuffle. If you're watching this 10 years from now, you can read up about what that was about. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's it, you know, I've, I've watched different family dynasties. Like, I know there's a lot of infighting with the in and out family dynasty and who is going to run that in the end. And, uh, you know, it's part of, it's part of life. It's part of human nature, and it's part of what goes into all this stuff. But I think it's, I think it's most important because it's written firsthand by yourself and tells that real story. I mean, I can't look at a Clydesdale, and you got the beautiful Clydesdales on the cover of the book for those who are buying it. Um, I can't look at a Clydesdale without thinking about beer.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. It, it was probably the greatest marketing move that uh, the family ever made.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, just so classic. And, you know, I lived through all the, as you did, uh, all the, all the uh, Super Bowls and the Bud Light commercials, the warring Bud Light commercials and the beer commercial, the beer wars, I think as they called them. Um, so uh, any final thoughts on this before we go out? Um, any teasers you want to give out on the book and, and what people uh, should uh, do to pick it up?
0: I just want to say that um, I think uh, I carry the weight of the legacy to a certain degree. I want to mm-hmm. keep it going. Um, we're building a brewery on our farm right now. Oh, wow. um, our company is called Bush Family Brewing and Distilling, so there's going to be mm-hmm. a distillery. Um, and it's going to be very similar to the way I grew up. You know, we invited people to our home growing up. Now I'm going to be inviting my family and I are going to be inviting people to our farm to come out, enjoy the farm, relax, see the beautiful countryside, kind of enjoy that farm-to-glass aspect. Uh, we've got the hops growing out there and the corn and the wheat and, you know, different things and barley that goes into uh, into the beer and and uh, the spirits. And, um, you know, we're going to continue that legacy because, again, Chris, I'm very, very proud of of it. And I just, while I'm alive, I, I, I just feel um, that it, it needs to um, continue in some way and be remembered because, It's just so fascinating the whole history. I mean, it's 150 years of um, of history. You know, going through the Great Depression, uh, through Prohibition, through the wars, and how my family, um, you know, they were patriots and they loved this country and they knew that this country enabled them to build an American dream, a brewing empire, and they always gave back um, and cared about. Uh, where they came from and the people of this country, and um, I just wish we had more of it today. So I think uh, I think it's it's a great book for people to read. I think they'll really
1: enjoy it. There you go. Uh, someone, this is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, someone's pinging into me, and I won't put the comment up because they put a dot com on here, and I don't want to run an ad for it. But they're they're talking about how you know this is something we've dealt with here in Utah and the, the prohibition rules of how you know a lot of states still run with this prohibition rules that. They're 100 years old, and you're like, what, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm even shocked that when I I, I lived in Vegas for 20 years, buy, you can buy anything 24-7, anything really. Uh, but I would go to California, and, like, the Walmart would be like, why are you buying uh, wine at 3 a.m.? And I'm like, don't you guys – you guys are, like, the wine capital. Like, ah, prohibition rules. Um, and somebody, So what are your thoughts on prohibition rules, and, and do, do we need to update them? And somebody's asking me about a new technology for vending – that will allow alcohol to be sold in unattended retail and vending machines. And it has some sort of age verification technology. I don't know if you want to throw any thoughts or kick around. I don't
0: that. know about the vending machine um, idea. I think, uh, I don't know how you would get over to get, get over the hump of knowing who's um, li- a legal age or not, or if someone's been drinking too much. That might be hard to do, but with uh, AI now and with all the yeah. technology, it could, I'm, It might be a great idea. Um, As far as some of the old prohibition, the three tier uh, laws that came out of prohibition, I think some of that is antiquated at this point. I think, you know, there's over 10,000 breweries in the United States now. And a lot of breweries have to go through wholesalers in order to get it out to the retail accounts. And I think um, it shrinks your margins and it makes it very, very difficult to make any money in this business anymore, mm-hmm. unless you're a superpower like InBev or Miller Coors or something like that. So for the little guy, it makes it very, very difficult. I would like to see, um, you know, the wholesaler be uh, cut out, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and and the ability for the manufacturer to mm-hmm. be able to, to sell it right to the uh, retailer. and um and that way they keep more of the profits themselves and their
1: margins are better yeah i mean here in utah you couldn't even advertise beer on a billboard up until i think a few years ago yeah it's crazy
0: some states some states i mean i know oklahoma there were dry counties in oklahoma for a long time i don't know there still are utah was like that um Mm -hmm. uh and some states you can only buy 3-2, with some some cities in some states you can only buy 3-2 beer, which is just amazing to me. But uh, yeah, they still, they still go by that old prohibition, those prohibition laws.
1: Yeah, it's the most grossest beer in the world, 3-2 uh, beer. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's basically fermented piss. Anyway, thank you very much, Billy, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man.
0: It's a pleasure, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: There you go. Uh, continued success and order the book wherever fine books are sold. But stay with the Alleyway bookstores because uh, you might get mugged or get tetanus shots uh, out of one of them or something. I don't know. Uh, Family Reigns: The Extraordinary Rise and Epic Fall of an American Dynasty by Billy Bush uh, uh, came out or comes out October. <laughs> August 1st, 2023. I'm in denial about this year getting past July, evidently. Uh, thanks, my audience, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss, youtube.com for just Chris Foss, linkedin.com for just Chris Foss, all the places we are on the internet. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>